Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Second Chance Podcast. This episode is in collaboration with the Longford Trust, who provide financial and mentoring support to young serving and ex-prisoners, giving them a second chance to pursue a degree at university. Now, up until now, all of my guest interviews have been recorded remotely, thanks to COVID. But on this occasion, I was able to meet Victoria in person. Victoria Eben, who was arrested at just 18 years old for her part in what became known as one of the most high-profile teenage gang killings of recent times. She was sentenced to 12 years in prison for manslaughter after a four-month trial. However, in prison, Victoria turned her life around. After her release and the support she received from the Longford Trust, Victoria was able to complete her degree in psychology. She now uses her gang girl experience to work with other girl gangs and a gangs project with the charity St Giles Trust. Victoria's past experience and now her education drives her to steer young people with a traumatic past away from gangs and violence. So just tell me what life was like growing up. Let's start there. I always say, for me, growing up was hard. Like, my first memory, I always say, was just my dad, me and my sister. I always, like, explain it as being a triangle. My mother, unfortunately, was addicted to substance misuse, so my dad wasn't um, with my mother and she wasn't in our lives. And it was just me, my dad and my sister. He remarried, and unfortunately, the woman that he remarried was very abusive towards myself and my sister. So we was taken into care at around the age of eight, nine, and... From that stage, I think I was just very angry growing up in life. I was very angry because it's like I wanted to be a normal child. And not to say I wasn't a normal child, but I was going through this. That one, being physically abused. So that making me, I'd say, timid. 
as well as the, I always say, like, you know, in primary school, young people are very inquisitive. So they're just like, oh, why is, you, why is this person coming to pick you up? And why is your dad not picking you up? And why is this woman got a Jamaican accent, but you're from an African descendant? So I used to just withdraw. And I think, unfortunately, where I just had so much anger in me and where I just was withdrawn, I, like, lost a sense of belonging. I didn't know. I, one, I always say I just didn't know where I belonged. You know, they say if you stand for something, you'll fall for... If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That was literally me. I didn't stand for anything. I didn't know where I belonged. I wanted friends. I couldn't make friends because I was very angry. So I was, used to fight a lot. So people didn't really want to speak to me in secondary school. And then I ended up involved in gangs because of that, because where I'd fought... And where um, I had an altercation with a local gang in our area. And they made me feel belonging. You know, the, the saying, hurt people, hurt people. That was literally what it was. It was hurt people. They saw me as being a fighter and they encouraged that where everyone else in life discouraged me for being so angry. But no one really wanted to understand why I was so angry. So I say life and me growing up was just chaotic because... I was involved in gangs and I was just involved in antisocial behaviour as well as not knowing myself personally, who I was, and just not feeling like I had a family unit around me. And the gang was the substitute? Yeah, it literally was. It was It was my way out. It was where I felt like, one, I had friends. Two, I had a family. And like I said, for me, it was the fact is that I would probably withdraw. I was very outspoken and I was like a happy child. I was outspoken and I did like want to speak and everyone would say that about me. But I was very aggressive. That was my downfall. I was very aggressive, but I would get penalised for that where I'd say the gangs kind of encouraged it. And where was this? Where, where did you grow up? What part of London? So I grew up in Peckham. Well, I grew up in, um, I lived in my foster home in the Lewisham Borough, but I was involved in like gangs, etc. in Peckham. And Peckham is quite notorious for gangs, isn't it, in terms of the number of different types of gangs and groups? There? Yeah, 100% more so now. I think when I was younger, you had like the older lot and then we was like the younger the younger guys so there was like two girl groups that from Peckham and I was one of the in one of the girl gangs and there was like the the boys who were about our age who were like the main Peckham boys and then there were like the olders that everyone like looked up to who were probably I'd say there was like two groups where everyone was one but now it's just more notorious in terms of like Peckham has been more divided so there are a number of more gangs literally like estates fighting each other. Did, did your involvement in the gangs bring you into conflict with the law? Yeah, uh, I say things when I was younger in terms of fighting and theft would bring me involved in the law. I uh, had yacht when I was younger. Just little things also. Not, I mean, one thing I'd say is different now because we did have a lot of violence and we did have a lot of gangs, but I would say well, it's, it's not as heavy as it is now so our altercations were mainly with like POs you'd say um like the not police not right. not to say that they're not police officers but they used to wear the blue right the blue right. Uh, the kind of community officers. yeah the community officers so they'd know us by name and we'd like terrorize them and they ter- not terrorize us back but like, we was more so conflict with them where now I think it's yeah not as hectic at all and, and at a young age, you ended up going to prison. Yeah, so I ended up going to prison 18. I say 18, and it feels like, oh, 18, but it's literally like 12 days into my 18th birthday, the day I got arrested. How long did you spend in prison? Um, so I, I got a sentence of 12 years, do six. Yeah. It's a long um, sentence. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so I did, I'd say, because I had bail for about six months, I'd say I, do about, I did about five and a half altogether inside. What was the 12 years for? 
It was for joint enterprise manslaughter. Joint enterprise, quite a serious offence. Very serious offence, yes. What was life like for you in prison? In prison, as you can imagine, well, being on remand, first of all, it was just, it was hell on earth, I'd say. Sorry to say that in a church, but it was, excuse me, it was, it was, it was hard. Like I said, I was 18. I remember being in Holloway and even though there was a YO landing, I was the youngest person in the prison for my time that just before I got bail, I was the youngest person in Holloway. So I didn't understand the law. All I knew from the law, except for the little yacht that I had, was what you watch on TV. So not understanding one joint enterprise, I was very not acting like a victim, but I just didn't understand that. Like, why am I here? And I potentially, and I was scared because I was thinking I'm going to get a long t- time in jail. So yeah, it was scary. It was hard. It was very, very, very hard. Um, when I got sentenced, it was hard. I think it got, it, it, it was hard, but it was, it was a relief that I just knew that, okay, cool. I had to do this time. It was 20, what, 11, coming out 2017. I have to just do this. I have to knuckle down and I just have to get on with it. Um, I think it got harder. I hit a low when my biological mother passed away when I was inside because I remember just getting to a certain age where I was just like, I need to change my life. I need to rebuild relationships. And that was one of the relationships that I really wanted to rebuild, but unfortunately I couldn't. And I think that's when I started to take it more seriously saying, okay, cool. If I'm in jail, let me start doing things that are going to benefit me. And then that's when I found St. Giles Trust, who I currently work for. And I did the level three advice and guidance course. Cause I remember my first time in jail, I wanted to do a degree, but I think I just wanted to do, do a degree because they came round to the cell and they said, Oh, we, we've got open uni courses, but I didn't ever take it seriously. So that's when I'd say going into my last three years, I started to take things a lot more seriously. So you use your time to better educate yourself in what particular area, what particular space? Uh, I'd say mainly in terms of advice and guidance. So in terms of, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was older, but being in jail, I knew that I didn't want anyone to go through what I went through. And it made me realise also, thank God, not a lot of people don't really like the probation system, but I had a probation officer who was amazing. She was um, educated in therapeutic um, behavioural therapy. So we really spoke a lot. Like I literally had therapy sessions with her about my past. So I just really knew that being in care affected me, being involved in gangs affected me. The relationship between my dad affected me. And that's something I didn't know until the age of 23. And I just realised in jail that I don't want someone to end up being where I am until they realise that their trauma affects them. I'd rather like advice, guide young people to be better. So yeah, I did the level three advice and guidance and I also worked for an organisation called Keep Out. And what did that do? So Keep Out was basically an organisation where young girls between the age of 13 and 18 will come into the prison and they spend a day with you and it's basically a deterrence from jail. Uh, it's not a scare straight, but it's more speaking about victim awareness, consequences of your actions, as well as taking personal responsibility. So we basically speak to them about why we was in jail, how your consequences can lead to negative or positive actions, also understanding who are victims in the situations that they're doing. As you can imagine, some of these girls were more school, school referred. Some of them were probation referred, um, yacht preferred, um, referred. So we used to, if they were low level or high level, it, it, that would all depend on who would speak to them that day. Um, and we just basically let them understand their victim awareness, the consequences for their actions, as well as deterring them. Because like for me, I always used to say, I started off being loud in school and being a fighter. And I didn't think I would ever 
end up in jail for what I'm in jail for. And I think a lot of the times the young girls used to look at me and be like, oh my God, yeah, that's so true. So they see the escalations. So that's what I did. I worked my way up to be the lead coordinator of that programme. And that was good. And then that's when I I took bail and I worked for like work in chance. And I also worked for um, St. Giles Trust on bail, on, sorry, on Rottle. Rottle, that's release, temporary release. So how would you summarise the qualifications that you gained whilst you were in prison and how did they differ from your earlier education through the normal education system, i.e. on the outside? The qualifications that I did in prison, as you can imagine, there's not the, it's, it's more one-to-one work. So I had a lot of time to just sit down and speak with, especially Alison, who was my level three advice and guidance tutor, you can say, worker. I had a lot of time to sit down with her one-on-one because I didn't like education growing up. I, I failed my GCSEs. I always say I only passed art, maths and um, drama because I'm very like um, kinesthetic learner. So I'm a doer instead of like the thinker. So the, I'd always say that academic subjects like English, science and stuff, I was just work at that. But it was something that I didn't realise until getting older that I'm dyslexic. And that's probably the reason why that I didn't really get on with education because I just one couldn't understand it couldn't read long paragraphs and you don't really get that one-to-one help I don't don't think as much I didn't anyway did you discover you were dyslexic while you were in prison or before no after prison so well so you've gone through your education you've gone through prison and you didn't know that you were dyslexic yeah. and all this, and no one had co- quantified or, or, or dis- established that you were dyslexic no one not even yourself no I knew that I didn't like education and I couldn't read for long and I didn't like certain things. What did you put that down to? Being stupid. I honestly put that down as being... not, not yes. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I thought I was just not good at education and then that's when I always probably thought, do you know what, maybe I should just be an actress because I can't do anything else. And then I just thought, how am I going to learn scripts? But yeah, I, just, I, I legit just thought I was dumb. As, as crazy as it sounds, I legit just thought I was dumb. And then I did um, my first year in um, my access course going into my degree at Goldsmith and thank God my teacher was just like looking back at your coursework and look at any, everything I think you need to do a dyslexic test and I was just like okay cool it's a bit annoyed because I was like what well, I've got to pay for it are you sure I'm dyslexic <laughs> but then it's a good thing because I did and then there was just like yeah you, you're dyslexic and dyspraxic dyspraxia how, how once you discovered that you were dyslexic how did that change who you was as a person? Because now you realise that you wasn't dumb, you wasn't mm. stupid, mm. that you had a condition that hindered your ability to be properly educated. I might not be using the right terms, but you know what I mean? Once mm-hmm. you discovered that you were dyslexic, how did it change you as a person? Now you realise that it was more to you than met the eye. I think it encouraged me more. Because like I said, I felt I was done before, but there was something that I could put a pinpoint, okay, this is the reason. So it's like, it helped me in terms of like, I just used to research things and I just used to ask at uni, like if anything could be printed out and then I was given a printer and I'd print out like my work in co- on coloured paper as opposed to like white paper because the black and white sometimes just blurry. I'd also just ask for, I was allowed to record lectures because sometimes in lectures I just found myself wondering because I just couldn't keep up, I couldn't understand so I was allowed to record lectures so and that just helped me more because like I say I'm like that visual do our kind of learner so being able to just re- listen back and it just encouraged me because I just felt like okay I can do this degree if I put the right things in place 
you left prison, what you gained in prison was a kind of understanding of yourself, so it wasn't necessarily about education, or that, that in itself is education. When you left prison, how did you end up going to, to university? Honestly, I ended up going to university because I was just like, oh, coming out of jail now, I've got no A-levels because I got arrested halfway through my A-levels. I've got nothing. Let me make my dad proud. Like, let me get into education and make my dad proud. It wasn't for me. I'll be honest with you. I was just like, oh, let me get a degree and make my dad proud because I just felt like, oh, I've come out of jail for such a serious crime for so long. What am I doing? I didn't know where I was in terms of life. I was living in, like, um, a temporary accommodation. I didn't have my own place at the time. So I was just like, let me do something that will make me look good to others. So that's why I first decided to do my degree and I did it in psychology. However, when I started to actually do the course and get to know psychology, social psychology mainly, yeah, it was more for like my personal gain just in terms of understanding social psychology as well as just having a main interest in things like counselling, CP, CPT. How did you get involved in the Longford Trust? So my friend was involved with the Longford Trust and she basically suggested them to me that they can help um, in terms of having someone who could help because I remember she used to speak about her mentor from the Longford Trust who would just help her literally going through what she's going through as well as giving her guidance in terms of education and how she can go on to further education and that, yeah, initial help. So I just thought, okay, cool, let me just apply and that's how I got involved. And how did the Longford Trust help you? Uh, so they helped me in terms financially with my degree as well as um, setting me up with a mentor, which I think was like the main thing I've taken from being a part of the Longford Trust Mentees. Uh, how does the mentor work with you? How have you been able to work with the mentor from the Longford Trust? Uh, so I basically just had monthly meetings and it's just a time to just basically speak, speak about my education speak about what I'm doing speaking about work and just like an open space if that makes sense I think for me I always say I don't know why I find it easier to speak to someone who doesn't know me because you just feel like people are judging you and then I just felt like I had the pressure of university especially in my first year and like no one just didn't understand when I was just like I just don't understand it I just don't get it I just don't want to do this anymore and it was that real encouragement um that my mentorship had my mentee my mentor sorry Susan she helped me a lot in terms of figuring out things especially with my dyslexia she she helped me because she was around the time when I was been told that I might have to have a dyslexic interview you could say uh, analysis is that the right word Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um and yeah so she was just really like motivated me like okay cool so you don't have to give up because I didn't like I said I didn't know what dyslexia was I didn't I've never heard of it before then um, so she basically like educated, helped me research. Also, there was a time where I just felt like my university just wasn't good for me. I just felt like I wasn't getting the right support from my, my uni- university. And honestly, I thought I was just going to quit. But she was able to just help me in terms of thinking, OK, cool, there's no quitting. There's other universities. Why don't you try and have a transfer? So then we looked into like other universities as well as just being that, do you get what I mean? That motivation mm-hmm. sometimes that you just need someone that, knows you from one side of life and is not judging you in terms of everything else because they don't know anything else about you and she just motivated me and it helped me change universities which I'd say in this degree was the best thing I could have done like changing universities was the best thing I could have done so what 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 are you hoping to get out of your your time at university and how far down the line are you um so I'm in my last year so I'm a month away from dissertation oh wow 
handing in. So yeah, I'm at the last hurdle, but I thought it was the last hurdle, but it's not. So um, I think for me, I have really had, especially doing psychology, I've really had a wider understanding of social psychology. So how environments and how um, you can say influences of other people can affect people. I mainly look and do my coursework around young people because that's my interest to young people. So like right now, my dissertation's on the push and pull factors of why females will join gangs as well as the deterrence of why females will join gangs because it's something that it's not researched in the UK. Females are often looked at as victims or victims of CSE. Or, and exploited and a lot of research are that speaks about victims of females are through male's eyes so it's like females don't really have a voice and I think that's something that we're picking up now especially in the work that I do with St Giles Trust we're picking up that females are very much as involved in gangs and I can only detest on that on myself like I was involved in gangs not through being you can say sexually exploited I, I joined in on my own will because I was a fighter and I wanted to be known as being a fighter in my area and respected um, so my degree helps me with that as well as I think I'm hoping to go into um, doing my master's in counselling and coaching with my university. So yeah, doing a counselling and coaching master's because I really just want to tackle knowing how to, one, speak with young people because I always say no one wakes up and says that they're just going to get involved in criminal activity. Sometimes you do have the lust of like money, etc. young people wanting to live an older life before they need to, not having to worry about money, but they want to want to get involved into it through money. But um, also, but people just don't understand their trauma, especially from the Black, Asian, and minority ethnic community. Counseling and stuff, therapy is shunned upon. So I really want to just get involved in counseling. But I always feel like you can help someone, but if you don't give them a solution, then there's no point because there's nothing to do. So that's the where the coaching aspect will go into. Okay, coach. So what do you want to do with life? Do you have a business plan? Do you not? How can we? actively get you out of the things that you're involved in so one of the work placements that you've had is with the St Giles Trust and you've also done I understand an internship with the Criminal Justice Alliance yeah why did you do that and how has it helped you so the Criminal Justice Alliance that came across through the Longford Trust uh, that um, internship which was amazing and I think I saw it because they were it was an ad in the newsletters that come around um monthly with the Longford Trust and it was just the interest of working as an intern for one I'd never heard of the Criminal Justice Alliance so it's just now that I know that I want to get I wouldn't say involved in the criminal world but that is the 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 pathway that I want to work within I wanted to just have a wider understanding of what goes on what other positions are out there what people do so where it was like a research and um, policy internship I was just like okay cool like this is a different aspect of instead of because I do mainly frontline work with St Giles Trust this is a taking a back seat looking at the policies in um, we worked on the Independent monitoring board, so IMV as well as the custody suite, so ICFAS, so Independent Custody and Visitors um, Association. And we, yeah, so we looked at like policies around females as well. So it was around females as well as um, double disadvantages. So being a female within these, within prisons and within custody suites, as well as being from the black, Asian and minority ethnic community within these suites. So yeah, does that answer the question? It does. What, what, what does it mean to you to use your life experience, growing up in care, being involved in girl gangs, going to prison, experiencing what life is like in prison? What does it mean to you to take that experience and put it to the use that you're putting it to? 
Uh, it means a lot. I mean, it's cliche because we're in a church, but because I come from like a Christian background as well and I'm very like religious, I always say that like in my religion, it says that the life that you've given you has was meant for you. So I think in jail, I really just sat down and I just was just like, God, well, if you knew that this is the life that I was going to live, like you made me go through all of that heartache and pain, why? Do you get what I mean? And I just thought, it would be at a disadvantage for other people. I didn't have anyone when I was younger that I could relate to. And I think that's where I kind of stumbled because I didn't feel like I could talk to anyone because no one could relate to me. So just knowing that, okay, cool, I could come out of jail and I could just do a nine to five and I could just literally go underneath the radar, start a family and just live my life and try and forget about the past. Or I could say, do you know what? Yeah, I went through a situation that was horrible for for um, my side and for my victim's family side but I can use that for the better to make sure that other people don't get down the pathway that I get go down and I think especially doing keep out I always used to say if I can touch one person out of the 10 people in this room I've done my job do you get what I'm trying to say because that's one person's life who could probably go on and potentially ruin other people's lives as well as their own that I've saved so I think I'll be doing myself a disadvantage if I didn't speak to young people or young girls who are going through the anger that I was going through when I was younger as well as going through pain or being in the care system and feeling like they can't do anything with their lives or they don't have family or not knowing what their future holds just to be able to say listen babe I've been there I've been I've done that like don't think you're alone in this because I did genuinely think I was alone I, I was young I thought I was the only one that was getting beaten up at home I didn't know that other people would go through these things in primary school so I was just like what is this about me and I just feel like yeah I'd just be given young people who are in a whirlwind that they probably can't control or they can't even explain a disadvantage not speaking about my past isn't it interesting, or do you find it interesting that, that growing up and doing all the things that you've done, going through the experiences that you've gone through, it's the people that are so far removed from that, the Longford Trust, the Criminal Justice Alliance, the St Giles um, Trust and, and those organisations that work with disadvantaged people. What do you think about the fact that these remote people, these people that live in a completely different world, had a much better upbringing than you and I and, and other people who go through these experiences. What do you think about that now? Because you're mentoring young people who are going through similar experiences that you went through and you're trying to steer them away from that life that you led. How important are the Longford Trust, the St Giles Trust, the Criminal Justice Alliance and these types of organisations who, who touch your life and change your purpose? but they're so far removed in the real world. And unless you went through your experience, you would never come into contact with those organisations. What do you think about that? I think they're important because, like like you're saying, um, unfortunately, it is the people that are remote that are helping people with lived experience. But until there's organisations that are doing that, I can only put it down in a such, like I always say, St Giles Trust gave me the platform to understand that I can use my past and still make it in life successfully in education. And without them, because unfortunately we do, as criminals or people who have offending behaviour or don't have GCSEs, etc., when you go for jobs and stuff, that you're shunned. So when there's organisations who, one, are remote, like you, you, you said, and who want to help you knowing that you go through the lived experience, it encourages you. Like I've been able through these organizations to like in St. Giles Trust to employ a girl that I was used to be involved in gangs with. Do you get what I mean? And she used to work, not to say that it's, it's bad, but she used to work in a phone shop, but she's like, I never knew that I could use, do you get what I mean? Going to jail as, as a, a job. 
Like, I didn't know that I could speak about my past as a job. But if St. Giles Trust wasn't there, she wouldn't be able to have that, as well as the Criminal Justice Alliance. When I spoke with them, you, you do have, like they say, the glass ceiling. You feel like when you have that lived experience or that criminal background, that there's a glass ceiling, there's only so far you can go. And then when I speak with, like, Nina, Amal, who are part of the Long for Trust, and they're saying to me, oh, yeah, you could one day, like, be a CEO of a charity and stuff. I'm like, what? like me but do you get what I mean but with knowing that they know know the logistics around how it is of having a charity or being an organization or being a policy um expert to get a research into the criminal justice alliance they know pathways and they can help me who I never ever thought I could even be a manager if that makes sense because you so, do you have that you have that stigma like I've got a criminal conviction I can't what what can I do but work in a basic nine to five? Not to say that that's bad for whoever wants to, but a lot of people are passionate about changing their lives. But I just feel like I always say like the St. Giles Trust, thank God it's in a lot of prisons, but I feel like the lived experience approach for like SOS Plus and SOS and the other, because um, you take 80% of our organisation is people with lived experience. But I think it needs to be pushed out in other organisations because what happens is you go to jail, you come out of jail, no, you go to jail and you have that, I need to change. I really want to do something better with my life. You come out and you don't know where to turn to. So I understand how some people turn back into crime as well as just thinking, do you know what? I'm just, I can't, I can't do what I want to do with my lived experience, maybe opening a business and that, that and so and so. So I'll just get a normal nine to five and I'll just go under the radar and just try and get through probation. So I feel like these organisations are good that answers your question. It does answer my question. So now the seed has been sown, i.e. you've you know, got in bed, if you like, with these organisations, the Longford Trust, the St Giles Trust, the Criminal Justice Alliance. What, what are your ultimate aspirations now? What does Victoria want to become in the future? You know, where will you be content? Well, content, I don't know. Uh, I definitely do want to qualify as being a practitioner in counselling especially cognitive behaviour, cognitive behavioural therapy. Like I said, I don't probably want to want to call myself a counsellor. I love the mentorship that I do. The only reason why, because I feel like there's the stigma around that word, and then that's when you can't get through with young people because they have that, I'm not mad, I don't need counselling, but they don't realise that is, counselling isn't for people who have mental health issues, if that understands. Mm. Like, you know, that whole stigma that people don't feel like they're depressed because mm. they're therapy, young, I don't need therapy. Yeah, I don't need therapy. Mm. Um, so I'd love to continue my mentorship, especially with young people, coaching, guiding them, as well as... Yeah, continuing speaking about my lived experience with young people. But I really, right now, I'm doing my five years, and my five years is hopefully getting onto my master's, getting out of that, and being able to register as a practitioner therapy, therapeutic um, person, you can say. And then, yeah, I'll see where it goes. I've, I was able to get promoted in my job role in St. Giles Trust, so I'm now the females program coordinator. So it's like we're looking at this new program that is just female based and female focused tackling things like CSE um, gangs but from a female perspective and not a male perspective that we see out there so it's only seen where that goes like it's just started but we have a, two more girls on our team that just girl focused so hopefully we by the end of 2022 we can 
go for funding to have like people under me hopefully i don't know about managing but people (laughs) under me who can go out facilitate these roles and just make it more as opposed to pan london but yeah uk wide good luck with that what would your message be to those remote people that i mentioned earlier who are instrumental in funding projects like the Longford Trust, the St. Giles Trust, because without their funds, they wouldn't be able to employ or train people like you or offer you opportunities. So what would your message be to those people who are instrumental in funding the projects that have allowed you to go to university, that have allowed you to train to become a counsellor, etc.? It'd simply be thank you, because... I'm assuming that we're talking about people who are funding right now or who should fund. Should fund and are funding. So there are people that support the Longford Trust. And without their support, the Longford Trust wouldn't be able to provide the scholarship for you, not just financially, but also the kind of mentoring support that you've had from Susan. I say thank you because as well as like, you know, we talk and I talk and everyone's just like, oh, you're touching all these people. But those are the people that are touching those people also because without them, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I think... We live in a world where so much people talk about, oh, yeah, do the time and that's it. And there's no judgment at all, but there's a lot of judgment. So they are encouraging people, one, to be more confident within themselves and two, that showing a turnover in life. So not only am I going to go out and help other people from the help of them, but I'm going out there and I'm just helping myself. If that makes sense, like I could have come out and I could have done so much other things or just gone back into the lifestyle that I was in before. But I didn't based off of the help from these organisations who could not get help if it wasn't from people funding them. And I feel like if people are ever hesitant to ever fund or look into it, I 100% would be like the head person mascot to be like, please help because... It's just the giving back. We have to give back to our communities. We see what's going on in the communities, especially in terms of like people going away for whatever reasons, different reasons. But if you are helping people when they come out, especially for organisations that are helping people wanting to better their life, you're stopping a cycle. And you are more valuable, not than that person, but you make that person more valuable, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like they say... The church isn't built without the cornerstone. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. what, what do you stand on? So, yeah. how, how would you, final question from me, how, how would you define Victoria today? So you've been labelled a, an offender, you've been labelled a, a former girl gang member, you've been labelled a criminal, you've been labelled a number of things. But here is who you are today. How would you define yourself today? Funny enough, and I'm just going to be be honest, Victoria is someone who was involved in a female gang. Victoria is someone who has a criminal record, so in retrospect has been an offender. However, Victoria is someone who's turned her life around. Victoria is someone who uses her past and doesn't use it to victimise herself, but uses it to help others. Victoria is someone who, who understands, before I didn't understand like Victoria is someone who's caring, Victoria is someone who's motivated and Victoria is someone who wants to see change in others and only wants to bring out the best in others. Like I literally, that is my sole purpose and interest. I just, I just look at the young people, especially young girls and I see myself. So Victoria is someone who sees herself in everyone she meets who's a young person and 
that makes Victoria valuable, I guess, because without Victoria, some of these young girls could probably be caught up in a lifestyle that they don't want to be, and they could be the old Victoria. They could be the Victoria that was heavily involved in gangs, and they could be the Victoria that becomes an offender. So, yeah. What does second chance mean to you? Do you believe you've had a second chance, and do you want to give other young girls a second chance, and boys for that matter? I believe I've had a second chance to an extent. I've had a second chance with organisations such as St Giles Trust, Criminal Justice Alliance, Longford Trust. I believe in other aspects, people still look at me as the person that I was in the past, and I totally understand that. It's not for everyone to look at me and see a different person. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, people have their own ways of life, people have gone through their own experiences in life, so if people want to look at me as that old person because of things that they've been through and things that I put other people through, I totally understand. But I do believe in certain aspects, I've been allowed to have a second chance, um, and I believe that everyone can have a second, third, fourth chance. You just have to take that. I just feel like second chances are not given to you. You have to be willing to actively make that change. And I feel like that is where I've had that second chance. Like I say, I believe that there's still some people that still have a stigma against me. But in the areas that I've wanted to have a second chance and I've gone for that change, I've gone and I've successfully doing it, such as Longford Trust, St Giles Trust, Criminal Justice Alliance, Working Chance, who I've worked with, yeah. I don't have any more questions. Is there anything that I've not asked you, Victoria? Any points that you want to make that you feel are important? I don't want to skim over anything. That If there's a point you want to make, here's your chance. I think if there's a point that I would want to make, uh, but I think we've touched it, but maybe I just personally didn't say it, but I do feel like education is key. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful. Like I said, there was times when I was going to forget quit education and literally Susan was just like you're not going to do that you can do it don't ever say you can't but I feel like it's something that a lot of people and this is probably isn't for I would say Longford Trust or people who could probably be funding this is for potential mentees like don't ever give up on your education and learning that's one thing I've learned like if I was 50 and I could go on to do a master's I would like there's you're never too late to learn um, and I think that was one thing that I was hesitant about starting a degree. I was thinking, four years, doing a degree, I'm going to be 29, 30 when I finish. And then something just told me, I think even Susan said to me once, if you do your master's and it takes you three years and you're going to be 33 when you're finished, you're still going to be 33, whether you do your master's or whether you don't do your master's. So it's not like time stops or time continues running because you've had your degree. So don't ever feel like you can't educate yourself, especially me, like, I got a first in my, for my dissertation project plan, I got a first. And honestly, that shocked me. I was getting two ones and I was getting two twos and I was proud of myself. But to know that I got a first and I was just like, I have this stigma of being someone who's dyslexic, being a former gang member, being a criminal. And I got a first and I was like, it's only 20% of my whole dissertation. But I was like, guys, if outside was open, I would have had a drink, you know, (laughs) do you know what I mean? And I just feel like I have joy in knowing that, you know what? I can still learn and I can learn and I, yeah. So don't ever give up on yourself or your education. There's always so much out there to learn. I never, ever thought I would ever study psychology or even go on to even doing counselling. But it's something that I like any, any, because of my degree, any opportunity to learn, I do learn. That's hence going to the internship and doing the CJA as well as doing things with St. Giles Trust, like outside of the work that I do. But yeah, that's one message that I want to push out, like education is key. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share and follow us on social media at A Reporter, that's A-R-E-P-O-R-T-E-R on Instagram and Twitter or Second Chance by Raphael Rowe on Facebook. As this is an independent podcast, all the support is appreciated. If you would like to sponsor or advertise on this show, please get in touch via email or the Raphael Rowe website. This helps us keep the podcast moving forward. If you think you know someone with something to share on the podcast, please get in touch via social media, email or any other means you have to make contact. The link to the Longford Trust page is also in the description of this episode. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. This episode was produced by Daryl Johnson, Sophie Warner and me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.